the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Wednesday, the 20th morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Thanks again to Ryan Morrow, who joined us last half hour. Looking ahead at 1035, Chris Gobots, national security expert, is going to be joining us, talking about uh, the New Zealand uh, attacks and uh, what those mean in the uh, larger battle against terrorism and uh, to whom should we be paying the most attention in that regard. So we'll talk to uh, uh, Chris Gobots coming up at 1035. For now, though... It is unexpected Kersenau, which is always the very best kind of Kersenau. Actually, I expected it, but uh, you probably didn't, because Peter normally joins us on Tuesdays. His travel schedule has pushed him to Wednesday, and we're glad to have him. Cleveland's uh, uh, own attorney, as well as the uh, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, and the host of the Kersenau Report here on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, good morning, my friend. How are you? Bob, doing great. You know, it's only eight days to opening day. It's really gone fast, uh, really remarkable. Oh, by the way, you know, a, is, if I'm not mistaken, a little birdie told me that the daughter of the best radio talk show host on Salem got accepted to a great school without any <laughs> bribes or, you know, messing around with the resume. So uh, congrats. I am very, very, very proud of my daughter and so happy for her because this is what she wanted. This was her first choice school to go to Hillsdale. She's going to go to Hillsdale in the fall. She um, uh, received an extraordinary uh, scholarship package for her academic uh, excellence and the hard work she has put in in high school uh, and in her community as a volunteer and as a server and as a youth minister. She has done so many things to try to make this possible for herself. And, yes, she will be a Hillsdale freshman in the fall, and I am just so extraordinarily proud of her. So That's great. I was with um, Michael Anton, who is a uh, lecturer at Hillsdale on Monday, along with, uh, I hate dropping names like this, but Bill Bennett. Michael Anton was also Deputy National Security Advisor uh, in the Trump administration. Uh, and the, the fact, and of course, Bill Bennett knows Hillsdale intimately as former Secretary of Education, and we were talking about the deterioration of, you know, and it was in the context of the whole, you know, admission scandal, but we were talking about the deterioration and corruption of academic standards at elite schools, and there's a few oases in that environment, and Hillsdale probably is the principal oasis. You get a phenomenal education there, but in the traditional sense you develop also, or it seeks to develop your character, understanding in the classical sense that a good education necessarily uh, enhances your character. And unfortunately, many of us who've traveled on various college campuses and speak on college campuses, and I've had kids going to college, have seen a marked deterioration in the the curricula, by the way, as an aside, I don't mean to be dwelling on this, but you can. there are certain Ivy League schools from which you can graduate today with a degree in English. You could be an English major without ever having read a word of Shakespeare. Wow. And that tells you that the value of those degrees has been so severe.
severely debased as to be virtually useless. And in the process of doing that, you don't learn some of the great eternal verities of life that are, are imparted by the Shakespeare's of the world and the great authors. Instead, they're reading people because of their skin color, people who simply, they believe, should be read because of the pigment of their skin. That, that, that's frankly racist, but more, even worse, it's stupid. It's the dumbest thing in the world. And many of the things that they're reading don't impart necessarily just great literature, but don't teach you the essential verities of life. So, uh, but Hillsdale does. Well, that is very kind of you to say, and really great information, too. I mean, I already knew a lot about those things and about uh, the reading of the classical books and, uh, and, and this being a classical liberal arts education and all of the values of it. But the more I learn, uh, the more excited I am for her opportunity, and it's going to prepare her for medical school like, uh, like, like nothing uh, you know anybody could even imagine. This is such a great thing for her. So, yeah, very proud of her, and thanks for bringing that up, Pete. Now, let's talk about the scandal. Uh, you jokingly mentioned, of course, and accurately as well, that I didn't have to buy her way. Uh, by bribing a coach to to say that she rose crew when she doesn't, but that is what a lot of wealthy people. I couldn't have done it if I wanted to. I don't have the money. But uh, wealthy people do, and they bought their kids' way in by saying, bribing a coach, uh, saying, hey, she's a soccer star. Coach said, all right, I'll say she's on the soccer team, even though she had never kicked the ball in her life. Uh, and, and he as well. But uh, some of the famous names, Lori Laughlin and Felicity Huffman, are all wrapped up into all of this thing. Pete, how widespread is the corruption? And I don't mean just this particular scandal that the sting exposed. Um, that's large enough on its own. But the admissions standards at major universities, at elite universities, or rather elitist universities, um, what, what can you tell us about all of this? A lot, frankly, and it's none of it's good. First of all, I don't know the extent to which this is widespread, but, you know, your gut tells you that this is simply the tip of the iceberg. If it's happening at these schools and they've happened to stumble upon these individuals who've been bribing their way in, it probably is far broader than that. Uh, years ago, I was involved in uh, scandals involving college athletes who were getting paid to attend uh, certain universities. Uh, I wasn't personally involved. I was part of the, 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 the uh, litigation, part of the legal representation related to such matters, and won't go into all the details. But nonetheless, um, so you have that. And you, and, and you know, Bob, the, the kind of things that go on at the um, scholastic level related to college athletes. That's one aspect, and probably in the grand scheme of things, a small part of it. Uh, we are starting see, to see laid bare uh, an extraordinary corruption of the admissions process, but there has been very little attention recently paid to other corruptions of the process. First of all, the dumbing down of the curricula that we mentioned before, and that's a function to a large extent of several things, but one of them uh, is an abandonment of the values of Western civilization, but um, on a more practical level, what you have is, you know, we talked about the fraud in college admissions, mm -hmm. but one of the things that we do, we've lowered admission standards, even at elite schools, to ridiculous levels for a large part because of racial and ethnic preferences. There's currently, just to give you an example, and this is just one example, um, many of you know of the lawsuit against Harvard by Asian students, and I have sure. some tangential involvement in that. Uh, students for fair uh, admissions versus Harvard. And Harvard's own documents that they produced due to the discovery process show, among other things, and I don't have the data in front of me, but off the top of my head, I think this is accurate, that the average 
Asian student has a combined SAT that is on average 218 points higher than the combined SAT of black and Hispanic students. Um, at many other selective universities, the data show that the average Asian and white admittee to these various institutions has an SAT, a combined SAT of 400 points higher than the average black and Hispanic student. And the GPA differentials are similar. So you have to ask yourself, how can somebody with, say, a 1100 SAT and a three-point average compete against somebody with a 1500 SAT and a four-point average? The answer is they can't, at least not effectively. And that's why you see Rick Sander at UCLA, professor of uh, law and also a PhD, crunch the numbers and shows that black law students, for example, who are admitted through racial preferences and Hispanic law students tend to settle within the bottom quartile of their respective classes. They are, if memory serves correct, four times more likely to fail, two and a half times more likely, even if they pass, to fail the bar exam, despite multiple attempts, because of the mismatch. And we could talk about this for an hour, because all the permutations of this are really extraordinary. And, and I do this when I go on college campuses to debate. I just did it last week, for example. Um, but what we're doing, one of the things we're doing, because so many are dropping out because of this mismatch. They're going to schools for which they are poorly prepared to compete. Not that they can't actually do the work, but it's as if you or I tried playing against LeBron James. We haven't played basketball in a while, right? Probably not going to do that well. Okay, that's a talent differential too. But if you haven't been prepared, um, Somebody from Collinwood High School, no disrespect to Collinwood, but the average student going to Collinwood is not getting the same kind or level of instruction that somebody who goes to Andover or Exeter gets, and then they go sure. to Yale, for example, are competing on the same basis. That person's not going to be prepared to do it. Whereas, as we've shown at the Civil Rights Commission, that same student from Collinwood worried to go to, a, you know, a, a very fine school, but not at that level in terms of competition, that person is far more likely to graduate and become a productive member of society. But we're playing this fiction where we're trying to populate schools with people of different races for the virtue of, quote-unquote, diversity, and are harming students' prospects as a result. And what, what has to be done, and you're seeing this throughout academia, is Standards are being lowered because if they weren't lowered, then some of the students who are being admitted who aren't rising to the initial admissions level would fail. So that's one consequence. I'm not saying this is directly attributable to you know, affirmative action, but at Yale, you don't have to have any knowledge of Shakespeare to get an English uh, degree. Um, Shakespeare's kind of tough. It's a tough slug. I remember reading through it, and I said, what the heck is this clown talking about, you know? So did I, and I, and I have an English degree, and I had to read. It was different, <laughs> at least in the 80s, because I read a ton of Shakespeare. And a lot exactly. Exactly. You know, and a lot of the classical, a lot of the classical books that uh, that you were talking about before, but they have dumbed them down. Pete, I want to I want to kind of narrow focus here because there's a lot of ground you're covering in a lot of different areas. But I want to go to the 
issue of admissions by race as opposed to by achievement and by test scores and so on and so forth, because we're talking about the college, you know, and you may, you mentioned the Harvard, uh, uh, the lawsuit against Harvard by the Asian students. That is playing out on a different level down at the high school level. And, and, and I've been struggling with pronunciation of this all week since I learned about it, but is it Stuyvesant, uh, the, yeah, it uh, the elite school in New York City? That's right. Hugh Hewitt brought this up on his program yesterday, and I started talking about it. It's a very similar thing. Some 74% of the admitted students to that elite academy in, um, uh, in New York City are Asian. And most of them are described, at least by the New York Times, as being lower income or low income students. So these are not like some sort of, you know, wealth advantaged where they're hiring private tutors and so on and so forth to help them score high on the entrance exam to get into the school. But the news that uh, the story that made the news was that only seven out of 895 accepted students for this coming class are black. And that has led Bill de Blasio and others to say, we have to get rid of the test. Uh, we can't do that. That's not fair. If you get, you know, mm-hmm. we, we, because black, you know, young blacks don't have the opportunity to score as high as, as the other people do. He didn't even mention Asians. I think he's referring, thinking that it's almost all white. But, um, it's similar to what they're doing at, at Harvard. And once you dumb right. down the ex- admission standards or eliminate the admission standards altogether, the test, and just say we're going to proportion the, um, uh, uh, hand out the admissions proportionately to uh, racial demographics in the community, um, then you cease to have an elite academic school that is for higher learning and college preparatory um, uh, standards. Yeah, you nailed everything there. I mean, the fact of the matter is that's happening throughout the country, too. And we're dumbing down standards. We are watering down curricula. We are giving people degrees or graduating them without the proper tools necessary to advance in society. And we're making excuses for people. Look, kids aren't dumb. And they get it. The kids who are applying to these schools, the kids who are in these schools, know that there are different standards that pertain. And they, as every kid does, and I will confess I was one of those kids, I would rise to the level expected of me, okay? And many times, no more than that, (laughs) except when it came to athletics or something like that. But um, that's human nature, regardless of what race you are, regardless of what sex you are. uh, There are only a few kids... You know, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with any other kids, but there are only a few kids who will regularly exceed expectations or or drive themselves beyond what's necessary to, you know, to pass. So these kids, knowing that these curricula have been dumbed down, knowing that they don't have to rise to a certain level, they're not going to apply themselves. Um, There are, and I'm not saying this applies to all of the students in New York, the black and Hispanic students in New York, but there's a reason why 74% of the students at, at the elite schools are Asian. And that also uh, uh, happens at, uh, in college. You look at, for example, Caltech and Harvard and all these other places, Asians dominate uh, far beyond their percentage in the population. Um, and there's no mystery as to why. These kids are working their butts off because they know that they are being discriminated against and they're being held to a higher standard. So they right. achieve even beyond what what is necessary to obtain admittance to the most elite schools. That's happening at Stuyvesant also. Contrary, there are other students, black and Hispanic, who know intuitively, this is not rocket science, that they're not being held to the same standard, and as opposed to an Asian kid who needs a 4.2 grade point average and whatever the board scores are for entry into Stuyvesant, he knows he can get in with a lesser grade. So it's human nature that the person is going to 
devote more attention to things that he prefers devoting attention to as opposed to his studies if he can which which by the way which by the way ends up hurting i'm sorry pete i've got to get our break here so i got to cut in but but by the way that hurts not only the asian student who gets denied a spot in the class potentially but it hurts the actual student who doesn't have the who doesn't prepare because they're going to go in there and fail and uh and not help themselves at all whereas if they went to a school that was more their speed if you will uh they might get a great grade point average and put themselves in line for a great career. Uh, I got to interrupt there though because it's ten twenty four already. We'll come right back with a few more thoughts from Peter Kirsten after this on AM fourteen twenty. Two six two four. All right, it's ten twenty nine. Pete, as apologies, we are all slaves to the clock, of course. So I've only got a minute left for you, but I'll let you fill it. Go ahead, sir. Well, I think it's important for all of us to understand that you, there's no such thing as a free lunch. You can't really manipulate standards and expect that people are going are not going to notice and that there's not going to be some consequence to it. And we're seeing this throughout academia. It's really um, it's it's harmful to the kids. It's harmful to society. And there is an endemic corruption that occurs. What we saw with respect to the the scandal. Um, at the collegiate level with respect to these celebrities and other wealthy people. Um, you know, there's always been some gaming of the system throughout much of our lives. We, we know that kind of stuff. But this is of a different ilk. And I think what happens is when people are led to believe that it's acceptable by our elites to game the system, to, you know, fudge numbers, to, you know, have different standards for Asians as opposed to blacks or whites as opposed to Hispanics, then there's less faith in the system as a whole, and there's less of an inclination to adhere to clear-cut standards, and you're going to get gaming of the system like this. It's no surprise. We see this kind of slow deterioration of standards across the board, not just in academia and media and in in corporations, um, because... It, we see represented to us by the elites and those who are making policy in society that, in fact, you know what, um, we're going to fudge things in a way that suits us. Uh, I think it's important that we resort back or return back to principles, to integrity, to, frankly, holding people to tough standards, whether it be academic standards or moral standards. Uh, yeah, is that hard? Sure it is. Life is not hard. It prepares you for life that way. But uh, it's really distressing to go on college campuses these days or to see the results of four years of, quote-unquote, higher education <clears throat> at a gazillion dollars a year. And those results are abysmal, um, even at the, the most elite institutions. So I'm very you know, please that your daughter is going to Hillsdale. It's one of the few where they haven't made compromises, where she is going to get a very good education. Uh, but I feel very bad for the rest of us out here uh, because so many of our institutions, although, look, I don't want to paint a broad brush, and, and yeah. there, there are, you know, clearly there are oases within individual institutions, but the overall trajectory has not been a good one for quite some time. And that is sad but true, and uh, and I and I really appreciate your candor on that, uh, Peter. And we'll talk more about that in the coming days, no question about it. Especially as the scandal continues to get more legs, and uh, we'll see where that goes. Peter Kirsten, now thank you, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Congrats, Bob. Thank you, sir. Ten thirty-two now. The Bob France Authority. Right back with Chris Gobots, national security expert. Next on AM fourteen twenty, the com. On 
Onward we roll, 1036, AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for joining us. Thanks again to Peter Kersenow. Tremendous information. We had Ryan Morrow in the first hour of the program. We are waiting to hear from Chris uh, Gaubatz uh, coming up next uh, on AM 1420, The Answer. Chris is a national security expert. He's going to be the speaker, the next speaker, uh, rather, at uh, the next um, Act for America meeting, which is coming up on Monday. And uh, this is this is an important one. Chris is the author, by the way, of The Muslim Mafia. And he's um, he's one of the foremost experts uh, in national security consultants working. He trains law enforcement on the severity and dangers of the jihadi network in the United States. He details the strategies and M.O. of uh, jihadists while providing specific investigative guidance to law enforcement by showing them how to locate and prosecute terrorists, among other things. Uh, he, by the way, if you don't know, he was the lead uh, undercover researcher in one of the most successful post-9-11 undercover operations in the United States. He posed as a Muslim convert and gained access to the Brotherhood, the Muslim Brotherhood and the Hamas-backed organization leadership meetings. And while there, he preserved more than 12,000 pages of evidence and 300 hours of covert audio and video recordings from CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations uh, headquarters, revealing clear patterns of fraud, sedition, and terrorism, and it's all been chronicled, and it's very important he continues to fight very, very hard on behalf of the American people and national security. So we're waiting to hear from him. We're supposed to hear from him uh, right about now. Uh, and the event coming up, by the way, on Monday, let me throw this at you. If you want to attend Act for America's meeting on Monday, this coming Monday, the 25th, um, you have to register by sending an email to Act Cleveland, uh, or I'm sorry, info, rather. Let me do that again. Info at actcleveland.org, info at actcleveland.org, is I think, I may be mistaking that too, I apologize, because I've got a couple of different email addresses, so you might want to go there, or you might just want to email, um, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go with info at actcleveland.org, I don't have another one right now, so apologies for that, I'm sorry if I'm messing that up, but uh, uh, Act for America and the Act for America Ohio chapter doing great work in the Cleveland chapter, rather, and Act for America Ohio at uh, uh, as a broader organization doing great work. So Chris Gobots is going to be the speaker there. All right, uh, so we're waiting to hear from uh, Chris, our speaker, or excuse me, who is supposed to be our guest. If we cannot make that connection now, we'll try to connect with him later this week if need be. And that'll give me the opportunity to go back to something that I started the program with, and that is liberal. Actually, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. What I'd rather do is dovetail off of our conversation with Ryan Morrow if we uh, aren't able to make connections with Chris now. Ryan Morrow, the national security analyst for the Clarion Project. Yes, we are just swimming in national security analysts uh, right now. But we had Ryan on in the uh, 930 portion of the show, and Ryan did a video in which he talked about the rise of right-wing extremists um, and, and the fact that they were kind of brought out, if you will, by the rise of radical Islamic extremists. And they have fostered then the rise of left-wing, such as Antifa extremists. That's a lot of rising, and that's a lot of extremism. But that was the focus of of Ryan's video, and I and and so we talked about that uh, today. And Ryan's video is online at the Clarion Project website, which is clarionproject.org. And I and I had to ask Ryan. I think it's a, an appropriate conversation to have, and I'll have it with you at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Um, about the language being used here. 
and I and I challenged Ryan because it's his video, and he talked about right wing white supremacist extremists rising up in response to uh, radical Islamic terror. And as a matter of fact, the lunatic who shot up the two mosques in New Zealand last week, in his manifesto, he pretty much expressed a desire to create that civil war in the United States between right-wing extremists, seen by some as white nationalists, and left-wing extremists, seen as Antifa, the uh, you know the anti-fascists. Um, and so if we play into that, we're giving him exactly what he wanted with the murder of all of those people. And while all of that is important enough for its own discussion, to be quite honest, it is um, it is equally important to me to have a discussion on the terminology. I said to Ryan Morrow, I think what we need to do is come up with a glossary of terms and give them accepted, fair definitions. Because his description of radical Islamic extremism giving rise to right-wing extremism, I think, is flawed. Um, not, not the idea that radical Islamic extreme, extremism isn't making other people feel and do extreme things, but to call them right-wing, I think, is, is, is inaccurate. And I had another caller a couple of days ago bring that up. I think it was on Monday who said, Bob, you know, why are we calling this guy right wing? You know, the lunatic in, um, uh, in, uh, uh, New Zealand. And, and I, I kind of said, well, kind of what Ryan Morrow said. It's accepted that way that if you are a nationalist, that is more conservative thinking. And if you are a conservative, you're considered to be a right wing and thus far right you know, kind of gets lumped in, and it's unfortunate. But now I think I'm kind of rethinking that strategy or that uh, circumstance based on what what Ryan said, because I I do not believe that conservative thinking, which is classified in general terms as right-wing, and maybe that's a problem, but I do not believe that has anything to do with white nationalism or nationalism in general. Now, the irony of that is I am a conservative. I am not far-right, if you will, some might some might describe me as being far right in that I'm closer to being more extreme in favor of the Constitution as the founding document upon which all liberties uh, in the United States are based. I'm far more extreme in that regard than I am moderate in that saying that the Constitution is a living document that can change and it can be uh, and it can. Um, uh, be changed over time. It can be interpreted differently as a result of modern conventions and so on and so forth. So if you want to call me far right in that regard, okay, I guess I'll wear far right more than I'll wear moderate. But I have no interest whatsoever in white nationalism. I have an interest in nationalism. If by nationalism one considers it to be the opposite of globalism, I do believe in uh, our responsibility to put our people first, to put Americans first. But that is in no way white nationalism, just because I'm white and I believe in nationalism over globalism. Because if it did, then how would I explain the fact that I am looking out for the interests of all races of Americans? Black, brown, white, uh, uh, you know, ethnic, whatever, whatever you want to say. I believe in putting America first, which is what President Trump originally ran on. America first, rest of the world second. Does that mean we'll abandon the rest of the world? Obviously not. The United States has been the greatest force for good in the history of humanity. 
in the history of humanity. And we will always look out for our allies. We will always challenge our enemies. And we'll do that, you know, if, 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 if that is what is required of us to make sure that um, radical, aspiring tyrants and dictators uh, threaten the safety and the security of innocent people. We will do that, but first and foremost, we take care of our own, and that's nationalism. Nationalism, Americans first, American priorities first, is not racial. And yet, that's how it's been, it has been described. So when this quote-unquote white nationalist shot up the mosques in New Zealand, he's being called far-right because of that, and I feel like that is just a little bit uh, unfair. I'm on the right side of the political spectrum, and I believe in nationalism, but I believe in nothing that that lunatic stands for. So I think to call, and and I'll be 100% honest with you, it's also just intellectually lazy. It's what the journalists do. It's what the left-wing media does. In an effort to demonize conservatives, not just in the age of Trump, now we go back. Now we go back, if you recall, you know, the mainstream media, being liberal, didn't just start because of Trump. It may have reached its fever pitch. You know, it may be harsher and more shrill and more blatant and more openly biased in its anti-Trump uh, narrative now than ever before. Uh, Trump derangement syndrome is a real thing among the media. The president being at war with them, calling them the enemy of the people, is also new, but the liberal media being biased against conservatives is obviously as old as you can remember, as old as I can remember. And so I'll go back now to the Bush years, the last Republican president, to the Bush years. And if you think about the way the media attacked conservatives, and George Bush, by the way, was nowhere near, at least policy-wise, as conservative as Donald Trump has professed to be, and who has been by way of lowering taxes, deregulating, uh, uh, taking government out of more and more um, uh, uh, business affairs, and so on and so forth. But the mainstream media attacked conservatives and needed a way to do that, calling them what? They called them far-right war hawks. They called them you know, war hawks, or they called them... Uh, neo uh, neo conservatives, neocons. The new conservatives are the uh, you know the interventionists who want to put uh, you know boots on the ground in every nation around the globe, and so on and so forth. So they need to find a way to demonize people who simply, in general, believe in constitutional principles. People who are originalists, people who do believe in a strong national defense, who people who do believe in building up our military so that no one ever thinks of going to war against the United States or harming the United States or our allies or our interests. And they needed a way to demonize. And so, you know, what do they do? They come up with the identity politics. This is not born again in the age of Trump. This is a long time ago, but I'll go back to, again, the most recent Republican leadership, and that was President Bush, and that's uh, when the identity politics took off. Maybe even made more so, made worse. The accusations of you know white racism being a Republican ideal, the idea of white nationalism being a Republican ideal, made worse perhaps during not Bush's term, but in his successor's term, when the first black president took over and we expressed opposition. 
You, so, again, it's simple and it's lazy to say Donald Trump is inspiring white nationalists. Donald Trump is inspiring white supremacists like this shooter in New Zealand. It's, it's lazy. It's intellectually lazy. Because the truth of the matter is we were being called white nationalists, white supremacists, bigots, racists, simply because we opposed the policies, not the skin tone, but the policies of Barack Obama. I said for eight years on these airwaves in Cleveland, Ohio, other airwaves, and then these for the last four years, that Barack Obama wore his brown skin as a suit of armor. It was like a coat of armor. If anybody criticized Barack Obama for policy, whether it be for giving you know, Iranians uh, $150 billion and allowing them to continue their nuclear program as part of the nuclear deal with Iran, as it were, or whether we criticized his policies of criticizing law enforcement and declaring that police officers in the United States are racist, whether we criticized him for giving five high-value jihadists and detainees at Gitmo back, turning them loose in order to get a traitor named Bo Bergdahl back, whether we criticized him for the expansion, the greatest expansion of the American uh, um, expansion isn't the right word, uh, but w- when he implemented um, a policy that impacted one-seventh of the United States economy by way of trying to nationalize our health care, and of course I speak of the implementation of Obamacare, we criticize him for any policies like that. His skin color deflected the criticism. Oh, you're just a racist. You don't like a black president. You have a problem with Obamacare? You have a problem with auto bailouts? You have a problem with Iran? You have a problem with taxation? Uh, you just don't like a black uh, a black president. And so his skin, like I said, was a suit of armor. The arrows that you fired at him, the, the verbal arrows of policy disagreement, just bing, bing, they just bounce off. You can't take any, you can't, you can't get any um, traction against him because he was a black president. And if you criticized him, you're a racist. Not somebody who just disagrees with him philosophically or politically. It must be because you don't like black guys or at least black powerful guys. So this has all been building and this has all been coming for a very long time. Again, it reached a fever pitched a pitch rather in the age of Trump. Trump derangement syndrome has taken this and put it over the top on steroids with the left accusing the right of being uh, being a racist accusing the conservatives in the United States of being, quote-unquote, far-right extremists. And it's a problem. It is a problem. And the bigger problem, one that I was hoping to, to discuss with Chris uh, 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 Gobbets, was the fact that one lunatic shooting up two mosques in New Zealand is going to create a permanent class of victimhood for Muslims around the world, including in the United States. And anybody who then thus speaks out against Islamic terrorists or Islamic extremists are going to be accused of being Islamophobes who will, whose rhetoric and whose commentary and whose negative statements about Islam is going to lead to more New Zealand-style massacres in mosques. It will provide them with cover, which is a very dangerous thing as well. 
All right, that's a lot to digest. I just, uh, I'm trying to tie together what uh, Chris Gob- uh, Gobitz is going to be talking about, uh, with, um, uh, Act for America on Monday with what Ryan Morrow had to say and obviously the state of all of this today because we don't control the narrative. The left controls the narrative and we're trying our very best to take it back. 1052, we'll get a check of traffic. Come right back on AM 1420. States. All right, 1055, as we uh, bring the program to a close on AM 1420, The Answer, I'll squeeze a call in here before we do, but uh, I want to say thank you to Charlie's Auto Repair in Lakewood, uh, who stepped up and became our latest business benefactor in our campaign. We are willing to give you $1,000 of free commercial advertising on our program, on our, on our, our radio station. $1,000. You don't have to give us anything. You just give $500 to Food for the Poor, which, by the way, is tax-deductible. Tax-deductible, $500 donation feeds a bunch of starving, dying kids in the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere in Haiti through Food for the Poor. Tax-deductible donation feeds them and gets you a thousand bucks of free commercial advertising. So we'll double the return on that $500 donation that you still are able to deduct from your taxes. All you have to do is call 844-868-4673. 844-868-4673. Or go to our uh, uh, webpage, whkradio.com, and click the Food for the Poor banner ad there. Become a business benefactor. You help feed the hungry and clothe the naked and provide medicine for the sick. And we'll give you $1,000 of free advertising on AM 1420, The Answer. We get nothing out of it except for the need or the, uh, uh, the satisfaction with, uh, uh, meeting our mission, uh, and delivering what we promise. And that is trying to help people. That's what we're all about. Uh, Christian, calling us from Mentor. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Christian. Go ahead. Yes. Good morning, Doug. Um, so I think that the, um, the left wing extremists, they have weaponized words such as using right-wing white extremists constantly whenever in reference to any of these attacks before even any evidence is out there and available. And it's used to shame, and it's used for political purposes. Now, when on the other hand, uh, whenever a Muslim commits a terror attack, for instance, uh, the first thing you'll hear is, he is referred to a lone wolf. Okay, and we must not jump to any conclusions before the investigation is thoroughly completed by the FBI and people who are credible in the media to let us know what the terminology will be given to that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Um, uh, The problem is I don't know if I can trust the FBI to give me the right definitions of these terms either. I'll be honest with you. I don't know if I trust the FBI to do anything with what we have discovered over the course of the last, uh, you know, two years and really three years going back to what we learned about uh, their attempts to undercut Donald Trump and to try to help elect Hillary Clinton. So uh, I get your point. Yes, uh, we do need somebody rather than the media to define the terms, but I don't know if I would trust the FBI. We need to kind of come up. I don't know. I don't want to say come up with it on our own, but that won't be trusted either. Jerry in Brexville next. Hi, Jerry. Go ahead. Uh, Bob, I read in the plane to you today where Fox put Paul Ryan on their board. Did you hear that? Yes, I did. He's on. He's on. I don't know if it's actually Fox News, or but the parent company. He's on the board of the parent company. My God, what's going on with that people? I mean, uh, Blue Dobbs will, will, will resign or something. 
Well, I don't know. You know, it's either that, Jerry, and thanks for the call. It's either that or the other will happen. You know, uh, you know, uh, maybe Paul Ryan will will start to open his eyes a little bit more when he, uh, you know, when he when he sees the truth. Um, he has not been somebody that we can trust. So rather than having uh, Lou Dobbs resign, maybe he'll start listening to Lou Dobbs and people like that a little bit more. Hey, I'm told we had a little bit of an audio glitch there when I was thanking our sponsor, uh, Charlie's uh, Auto uh, Service in Lakewood. Charlie's Auto Services are next, uh, our latest uh, business benefactor. So uh, I heard I cut out there, so I wanted to make sure to give them some love. Thank you to Charlie's, and I hope you'll be the next business benefactor. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.